The phone lines are open for the last hour of Green and Growing. Hey, thanks for being here and listening to 95.5 WSB. We're here with everything you need. Home fix-it tips coming up, all the gardening advice and outdoor advice you need, traffic updates, weather updates. We've got it all right here. It's going to be a fun weekend, a beautiful weekend for sure. I love getting questions throughout the week, and sometimes I you know, take a few days to answer them, so forgive me if you've emailed me something or send it on the Facebook page. Um, I do try to take Sundays off. Sundays, try not to check my phone, try not to think about gardening or traffic or anything like that, but I always end up getting back to folks. And I had something uh, recently, a couple of questions really about people's Japanese maple trees. And I thought I would bring that up because that may be something that some of you are seeing right now. Um, Dolores and Katie were two in particular that reached out, uh, one with a weeping red maple, one with a dwarf browning on the top some of the leaves looked almost bleached out you know they were eventually going to be turning brown so both of them wondering what is causing that and I immediately thought especially being at the tops of the trees frost damage perhaps uh, because we had two little cold spells that happened probably between you know the second week of April and the first week of May just completely unexpected out of the blue and that was at a bad time too because a lot of the trees were leafing out Um, So those new leaves and that new growth was a little more susceptible to that frost damage. So yes, my friend Norm Mitleider agreed as well that probably is likely frost damage. So what you'd recommend first is just waiting to see if those maple trees are still going to put out any new leaves, any new foliage uh, before resorting to pruning anything. You don't want to prune if you don't have to, plus it's probably high up on the tree. So give it a little bit, see if there's going to be new leaves and the new leaves will eventually push those old leaves off, the leaves that look a little bleached out or dead. Um, But then if you do have to prune out dead wood and there are no new leaves that are going to be coming out on those limbs, that's going to be your next option if you have branch dieback or something like that. Prune out the dead wood back to growth points and you're good to go. So a lot of very common questions and very happy to answer most of those. Um, and also another one from Donna sent a picture of her knockout roses. They're blooming, of course. They look great right now. But the leaves have been eaten away. So like just holes in the leaves, like something's munching on the leaves. And also a little bit of white spot on the leaves. So what could that be? Um, so my first thought, Japanese beetles, but not likely Yet, I think it was rose sawfly. So rose sawfly is going to be one of those things you really need to look out for those little worm-like things on the roses. Horticultural oil, I think that's the third time I've mentioned that on the show this morning. That is so good to have in your arsenal as a gardener. Horticultural oil or uh, insecticidal soaps could at least target those problems on the roses. Sometimes you can leave them. I mean, you, you can leave those leaves and you know, eventually something else is going to get to that pest. But if you really want to get at it now, those are probably going to be a little more targeted to rose sawfly than like a systemic insecticide. Uh, But BioAdvance does do a good rose and shrub uh, product that, you know, promotes the overall health of shrubs and rose bushes and stuff. But that may, you know, kill out more than you're really wanting to do or tediously pick them off by hand as you see them. My goodness, that's always an option. So just a couple of the latest things maybe you're seeing and other folks are seeing and they're passing along. All right, ready to open the phone lines as promised. Up first, calling from Riverdale, it's Mike. Good morning, Mike. Welcome to Green and Growing. Good morning, Ashley. Hey, what's going on? Uh, I have um, what is it called? Cut zoo in my backyard. It's pretty much taking over uh half to three-fourths of my backyard, mm-hmm. and I don't 
know what to use. I'm trying to keep from spending too much money on the big companies. Now, is it kudzu, or do you think it's English ivy? That's what people tell me that it is kudzu. Yeah, I know it's real thick. It's from two to three feet um, from the ground, and it's taking over my shed. Oh, goodness. Um, so, I mean, the most cost-effective, Mike, you know, is going to be removing a lot of stuff by hand, which I know that sounds god-awful, but at least that's a start. It took me probably three weekends in a row a year and a half ago to combat some, I had English ivy, but it grows just as fast as kudzu, really taking that back. It was starting to choke out some pine trees. It was starting to choke out uh, some of my rhododendrons and things. So literally back breaking, ripping up those vines. It's so rewarding though when you can get one long vine and just take it all the way back, just keep ripping, ripping, ripping till it breaks um, and removing those. But then also what I've had luck with is a bio-advanced brush killer. Um, that's going to be effective as well. It works on the leaves immediately, but it may take two applications to use something like that. And that could get pricey depending on how much you have. When you have something vining like kudzu, like poison ivy, even um, English ivy, when you have something like that growing up the trees, it's best to cut everything, you know, away at the base of the tree. You you want to cut back as much as you can and get it away from the base of the trunk. And then also go up about eight inches, maybe 10 inches from the base where you've kind of cut everything back, you know, and, and really limited that growth, you know, from continuing. You're basically cutting it off and not providing, you know, any more nutrients for that upward growth as you cut that. But not only cutting at the base, but go up the, the trunk about eight to 10 inches and make a cut there as well. So you've almost got this 8 to 10 inch high girdle around the base of the tree. And that's going to ensure that everything that's already started vining up trees is going to go ahead and, and die. You'll be able to maybe pull some things away as they die back. Um, but manual removal, Mike, I know it's probably not what you wanted to hear. But other than that, the suggestion of that brush killer. Um, mm -hmm. And then always, you know, renting some equipment and... My gosh, going to town, but that's expensive for the day too. And yeah. you don't have any, you know, skin reactions or any adverse effects from being around any of that, do you? No. Oh, good. I, I've, I've tried. I've tried a couple times. I, I've been out there a couple weekends. It's, it's probably gonna take me three or four more weekends. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, just the dedication and, and staying after it. So, um, you know, if you find something that works really efficiently and you're getting out there and you're being real loyal to the task, call me back and let me know. No problem. Oh, I'm glad you called. Thank you so much, Mike. And speaking of poison ivy, too, I did have someone reach out. Uh, it was Betsy. Like, do I have poison oak, poison ivy? Starting to see all of these things. Um, I'm familiar with them, but I know there's some differences, too. So a good reminder. Holy cow. I was not affected in my younger years and had one bad breakout about five years ago. And now all of a sudden in my mid-30s, like, I can look at the stuff and just completely breakout itch everywhere. I mean, I, parts of my body that didn't even had any chance of touching poison ivy end up with uh, with itchy spots. So poison ivy, remember, a three-leaf cluster. It's three leaves. The leaf tips are pointed, so that's a good indication. It vines. It can vine vertically, horizontally. It doesn't even care. Um, but the main thing you're looking at there when it's got the three leaves, the top and the bottom leaves are asymmetrical. So there's three. There's one leaf growing upright and then two to the sides. Those two to the sides are asymmetrical. So the tops of those are going to be a little smoother. And then the bottom edge of those bottom leaves is going to be kind of serrated. 
Um, and then the you have that top leaf, the third leaf growing from the top. Now, poison oak, that's a three-leaf cluster too, but the leaf tip doesn't have a point. It's more of an oak leaf, so it's a little more rounded at the tip, grows as an upright shrub. Generally, uh, leaves turn yellow or orange in the fall, and that's poison oak. And you've noticed this poison ivy is really starting to go crazy, maybe here starting a month, month and a half back. That poison ivy, that new growth kind of exhibits this red, almost purple. And you see that starting and you're like, oh, that looks kind of nice. That has a nice color to it. What is it? Well, no, as it leaves out and becomes green, uh, it is poison ivy. So be on the lookout for those. Certainly be very careful as you're out in the lawn. And uh, next week, I'm going to talk to Walter about snakes. So definitely want you to be aware of that and very careful of that as well. All right, up next, calling from South Carolina, we say good morning to Dick. Hey there. Hey, good morning, and how are you? I'm great. What part of South Carolina are you in? Uh, Anderson, South Carolina, just over the border. Right over Lake Hartwell. I gotcha. All right. Well, yes. how can I help? I used, used to live in Marietta, Georgia, so still listen to your show. Oh, well, I appreciate for it. For years. Um, actually, I had one question, but now I have two. Uh-huh. Um, if I cover up poison ivy with, like, 12 inches of uh, grass clippings and another 8 inches of mulch, is that going to be enough to kill it? I don't think so. I I think it'll, you know, suffocate the leaves that are out now, but it's always going to be living underground, and it's going to come back next year, sadly. Okay. Yeah. You know, I I didn't have a lot of it, but I suddenly thought, oh, I was just trying to get rid of 18 yards of mulch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I was desperate to get just shovel, shovel, shovel. Yeah, anyway, I mean, that's okay, that's one way to get ahead of it for, for now, you know, for this season right. and actually keep your family safe and keep the dogs from tracking the oils, you know, from their fur onto you if you have the dogs. That, I, a lot of people worry about that, you know, not transferring it, you know, on their right. own bodies. But the dog, you come in and pet the dog and then the dog's got the oils on them. So, yeah, I mean, do it for now if you want, but it'll be be ready to combat oh, it early done. next spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's done, and I didn't call to ask about that, but I just heard your explanation of, of poison ivy. Yeah. And I thought, I better ask. <laughs> my real question uh-huh. is that my peony has bloomed, and it was wonderful. It had mm. six big blooms on mm-hmm. it, and how soon can I move that? You know, I wouldn't really transplant and move it around till maybe early fall. I would say September, October. Okay. Um, lift the clump up, you know, just gently use the spading fork, get some of the soil away from the roots. Uh, if you need to divide it, you can certainly do that with a sharp knife if you think you'd have luck with that. But then, uh, you know, put it back into a place where it's just as happy. Generally that early morning, you know, early afternoon sun is where it's happiest. Okay. So then I said, even if I wanted to divide it, I need to wait till fall. Yeah, I would wait till fall. And be advised, though, Dick, you know how tricky dahlias and peonies, man, you either can do them or you can't. So keep in mind, though, even though, you know, digging them up and transplanting them or dividing if you really need to, you may lose one or two years of blooms. You know, if you just had this great flush of blooms this year, six, seven flowers, don't be super disappointed or super surprised if maybe next year you only have one. But that's just, you know, short-term loss for long-term gain, I think. Well, 
no, actually it was a long-term loss because I bought them six years ago mm-hmm. as bare root and stuck them in, and they only started blooming two years ago. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, just and it's not just one plant; it's three different plants in different locations. Oh wow, God, they're so picky. Yeah, and not planting them too deep as well. You know, that's good advice right, yeah, that everybody that gives us part as well. I understood. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So thank you so much. I appreciate your help. You're welcome. And hey, let folks in South Carolina know about us. Every now and then, I have an expert over at uh, Clemson University on, so y'all are well represented on this show. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I keep listening every Saturday. Oh, thanks, Dick. We'll call any time for sure. Yeah, I had the same thing with my peonies. I thought that I was going to be adventurous maybe four years ago and bought two, planted in the identical conditions, one right next to the other. One died out, one did fine. And every year I had only had one big white flower. And honest to God, four or five years later, this is the first year I had six flowers. So I feel your pain. I get that. But it was well worth the wait. Oh, my gosh, the... The show right before Mother's Day was spectacular. All right, more questions about English Ivy coming up just after the break. We're going to step out, check traffic and weather. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today and tomorrow, mostly sunny. Highs in the upper 70s, around 80 degrees, and then partly cloudy on Monday. We just had a great conversation with Mike about kudzu, different kinds of ivy. So I'm very curious to hear what Benny in Covington has to say about English Ivy. Hey, Benny. Uh, good morning. First off, I want to say how much uh, we all appreciate what you do. You help changing the landscape for better and helping a lot of people. Thank you. Okay. Well, you're doing a good job. I appreciate uh, what it. I did a while back is I had some, uh, a backyard full of ivy as well. And one of the uh, vines that was going up the tree was probably as big as my wrist, mm-hmm. you know, probably two inches or three inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, but what I did is uh, I tried spraying it, and I even tried cutting it, and it didn't help. So what I, what I did is I took and I drilled a hole in the ivy itself. Huh. All right, And then I took a piece, a, a plastic tube, and I stuck it in the ivy down so far, and then I, I, I attached that to a vessel. By vessel, I mean something such as a, uh, a vitamin pill a bottle or something like that. Okay. And then uh, I ran, I put some uh, high potency uh, uh, vegetable peel in that thing. I turned it upside down so it would be uh, feeding it at all times. In other words, that's what the, a doctor does. He injects something into you and then you get, you get well, you get the point. So I've got uh, about 30 seconds here, Benny, but did you do yeah. it down through the middle of the stem? Yeah, you're taking just the mm. middle of the stem at a convenient place, and then you have to hang it upside down. Yeah. Okay. When you hang, when you hang it upside down, what it's doing is like a what, what an eye. You're, do, you're giving the tree an IV. Yeah. That's what you're doing. The, the, not the tree, the, the vine. You're giving the uh, the vine an IV. And it killed it. And it's and it it, it can it continuously kills it. Uh, you can, in other words, as long as you can continuously feed it, some some of the uh, vines are smaller than others, yeah. and I understand that. But as long as you can continuously feed it, yeah. I'm telling you, it will die. Yeah. I'm See, graveyard dead, and yeah. it still is. Well, and that was that was a very focused, targeted approach too, which I appreciate. You know, I mean, people want to just use Roundup glyphosate, and of course, that has negative impacts to the things around it. And you have to make sure leaf surface contact is there to kill back the leaves. But man, you're going at it from a great approach. Thank you, Benny, for the advice. I love that. All right, coming up, Pike Nursery to share with us info about tropical gardens and how you can kind of do your own escape in the landscape. So we'll be back in less than ten minutes. Thanks for listening to Green and Growing on WSB.
All right, 8.36 almost through the show. Thanks for all the great calls and all the great questions. And, you know, I, I especially love the ones, too, where you're telling me something. You may not have a question, but you're just like, eh, something you said may not have been quite right, Ashley. Or I have something else that I've been successful with, another way, another, you know, an option to try um, and kind of inform all of us. I really appreciate when you all do that. And we just had Jeff call in uh, when I was talking about poison ivy. Holy cow, am I like super susceptible to that. And uh, Jeff must work in the automotive industry because he recommended Extreme Green. Like it's an automotive cleaner and degreaser. You can wash your hands with it and it's going to wash away those uh, the oils from the poison ivy leaves, but also maybe put it on ahead of time so that your skin is going to repel uh, the oil. So that's a great suggestion. Thank you very much, Jeff. I remember when I had my first really bad breakout. I mean, I went to like the Minute Clinic and got some kind of steroidal shot. It was so bad. But uh, I remember Walter being like, well, Walter Reeves, who hosted the show prior, you know, tall garden gloves. I mean, like I'm extreme, like rose pruning gloves, man, up to my up to my elbows. Um, but also he would use the plastic bag that's over the newspaper, you know, because that's a taller longer bag rather than a grocery bag or something but that on top of gloves rubber banded up to my elbow so I had that plastic layer of protection like hey whatever works and also years ago a friend told me about Technu um, and I don't get any kickbacks from these products at all but Technu I tried and I like and that's available at the drugstores but it's like a two bottle system um, I think it's just T-E-C-N-U uh, Technu but one is like putting it on right as you're exposed. So you can work out in the yard for up to three or four hours. And then as you come in, just rub that, that uh, it's not really a lotion, but rub that kind of oily substance, the Technu, all over your skin and rub hard for maybe two minutes and just kind of break down the oils that may still be on your skin and then wash it off uh, with warm soapy water. And then the other bottle is after you've got it, when it's too late, uh, a little bit of an anti-itch. Benadryl works pretty good, too, but uh, the anti-itch kind of control it from at least spreading. So there's some options for you. All right, this time of the show, every Saturday, Pike Nurseries uh, comes to the table, tells us a little bit about what is featured in the store, what's seasonal, what's timely, and I love that. And they sent this out in their newsletter just a few days ago for those of you that receive the newsletter from Pike Nursery, Retreat to the Tropics at Home, how to really... Think about a tropical retreat. So one way we do that is thinking about tropical vines, nice, bright, flowering vines. And that was one of my things to do in the landscape this weekend. So one thing you may see at the nurseries is Mandevilla, uh, abundant trumpet-like blooms. You'll often see it in red, white, or pink. Um, it's a great vine. You need a trellis, though, because it can grow up to 10 to 15 feet uh, in full to partial sun. So like I said, that's a good mailbox plant that gives full sun. And there's another one that's often confused with Mandevilla, and it's Diplodenia. I hope I'm saying that right, Diplodenia. I've seen it. Um, I've just not bought that. The flowers look much the same, bright colored flowers. But this one kind of grows in more of a shrub-like, uh, bushier plant. So you don't need the trellis. It may only get one to two feet. Uh, so if you're thinking about a container and you want that look, but you don't have something for it to grow upright on, Diplodenia is going to be great. Also, Morning Glory. I had great luck with uh, with that at my mailbox one year. I did it from seed. 
but it germinates so well that it's often mentioned as invasive. So kind of keep that in mind. You may think the morning glory's gone, but it may come back. Um, another one, bougainvillea. If you've been to Florida or Hawaii, especially this time of year, you've definitely seen bougainvillea. It goes crazy. It can cover entire walls. Um, just a tropical vine that loves lots of sun. So make sure you do that. And another one that I came up with, too, uh, clematis varieties. There's so many varieties that are well suited for Georgia. They run in almost every color, I mean, blues and purples and whites and reds. Um, that is perennial, which is great. It loves growing up along a fence or something like that. Uh, the flowers are enjoyed now through September. So any of those are available at Pike Nursery. And you also, if you're thinking more indoors because you just don't have the space outdoors, that's okay too. Uh, you can do elephant ears in containers in the house. They're part of the aeroid family and also bromeliads. So those are like large, strappy foliage, bright colored centers, uh, magenta, neon yellow, orange. That's a tropical flare that could be in a container in the house year round. You can bring it outdoors in the summer. Um, and then, of course, you know, they need high light. Bring them back in when the when the weather gets cold. And that's a good reminder, too, to start bringing a lot of your houseplants outdoors if you would like to. Uh, just introduce them slowly to part sun. Don't put them in bright, bright sunshine right away. You may see a little bit of scalding on the leaves, but bromeliads, that's going to be fun having it outside for now, but then having that color indoors as well. So more at pikenursery.com. And they're still doing online ordering as well. If you're not going back to the stores or you've just got so much that you don't want to wheel around the store and you just want to make your order online, very easy to do. Pikenursery.com, choose what store uh, you want to go pick it up at curbside delivery is available or curbside pickup is is available. And so is delivery, too, uh, in certain locations if you're within so many miles of a store. So thanks to them for the ideas. Great tropical plants. And I'm soon going to be uh, posting that picture on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page of the different vines so you know the difference um, for sure. Some other things that I had on the Green and Growing Facebook page this week. One for sure was so much fun. And we've talked about tomatoes. Uh, I conned my coworkers into a friendly little gardening competition. So I had so many tomato seedlings and wanted to share the wealth. I have no place for 30 tomato plants for sure, but that's about how many I have. Um, so brought those in. I had, you know, repotted them into smaller individual containers and the seedlings are now maybe four or five inches tall. They're ready to go. So I gave one to Judd Hickenbotham of Atlanta's Morning News, Tad Lemire, uh, who is part of the Tad and Drex Morning Show on B98 right down the hall. Our news director, Chris Camp, and Mark Aram, my traffic colleague, all got their own little tomato seedling. And I want to know, who's going to grow the best tomatoes this summer, boys? Who will fail miserably? Well, I will keep you all posted. And I plan to have all of them kind of in a roundtable discussion, maybe here in about three weeks, when they are well-planted, they've grown tall. We want to start to see the flowers on those. I kind of want to get updates throughout the summer from these guys and I can tell you, none of the four are really gardeners, but I want to see that they're going to have success with tomato plants because if they can do it, you can do it too. And there's two things on the Facebook page that I would love for you to be able to reference um, as far as identification. You know, it's so hard on the radio to get descriptions of what you're seeing. Um, and right off the bat, I may not know what you're describing, but a lot of times I'll have people reach out and they know right away. Um, but this is easier with with photographs. I'm trying to anticipate maybe what you're seeing this time of year and identify it for you. So two references on the Facebook page. One is Highway Horticulture. It's a photo album of different trees and shrubs and things that are flowering at different times of year. 
and I plant or I post pictures at the appropriate time of what you may be seeing and what it is. First of all, just identifying it, uh, giving it a name, and then telling you maybe where to find it or if you don't want it, how to control it. So the latest picture to Highway Horticulture was a tulip poplar or a tulip tree. And it's blooming now. The tree has bright green leaves and then they resemble tulip flowers kind of in, in their profile and a golden yellow in the fall. Uh, greenish yellow flowers are carried high in the tree and there's a little orange at the center. Those are really pretty right now. And some people didn't even realize that tulip poplar f- flowered. So for a very short time, uh, they are right now. So hit that up. And the second one, the second resource is going to be Weed of the Week. And that is something that Walter and I started years ago on the Lawn and Garden Show and have continued. Um, So, you know, appropriate times of year, the weeds you're seeing in your lawn. And all of these pictures, I can guarantee you, in the Weed of the Week photo album, all the pictures were taken from my very own lawn. So I'm not embarrassed to admit, I've had all these weeds. I've been there, done that, identified them for you, given them a name, and then how to treat them. So kind of scroll through those pictures and see if you've seen any of those. Maybe you didn't know what you were up against. So the latest one I did, let's see, what was the latest one? I do that every Monday, by the way. There are so many weeds that I think each one deserves a weekly update for sure, because I think within 52 Mondays of the entire year, we're still not going to get at all the weeds. Uh, But wood sorrel or yellow oxalis, that's a low-spreading weed, kind of clover-like Uh, three heart-shaped leaflets, like clover, and now you're seeing the small yellow flowers kind of dot your your lawn. But if left unmowed, stems can grow up to 20 inches high, but they generally do spread and lay low more than upright. So best controlled by prevention, you know, all late winter into early spring, I was telling you about using a pre-emergent chemical in the lawn to get ahead of some of these weed seeds Keep them from even germinating. That way you have less and less weeds the more applications at least two or three times a year that you do of pre-emergent. But, so if you didn't do a pre-emergent, then you can use broadleaf weed killer uh, in early spring like now. Something with 2,4-D. That is the active ingredient uh, for a broadleaf weed killer. And keep in mind, too, when you're identifying some of these weeds, you know, pretty easily broken down into the broadleaf weed category, and a grassy weed category. So 2,4-D, one of the active ingredients that uh, really comes in contact with the leaf surface of broadleaf weeds. You obviously want to apply it when broadleaf weeds like that are actively growing. And one of the things, like like a product at Pike, uh, Bonide, they carry the Bonide line. Crabgrass Plus is one of those products that's going to combat broadleaf weeds. And the idea there is to maybe apply it when the leaves are a little wet maybe after a rain or in the morning when there's still some dew on the ground because that weed killer needs to stick to the leaves to really be effective, and that's how it's going to kill it. And then you also think about um, something like a liquid. So Bonide's got Weed Beater Ultra. That's a liquid. That's a spray. You see a little bit quicker results when it comes in contact. Um, you know, wait till after a rain for sure. But it, it, it is resistant for a couple of days. If it rains, it'll it'll stick to the leaves. But you're going to see quicker results with something like that. And then there's Weed Beater Complete. That's in the Bonide line as well. So I was talking about killing broadleaf weeds. Well, Weed Beater Complete kind of combats both broadleaf and grassy weeds. And it's a dry granule. 
and it is for use on warm and cool season grasses as well. But whenever you're looking at Scott's or other products like that, you do always want to read the label because there are certain times and certain lawns, you know, at which you don't want to use some of these herbicides. So you just want to keep that in mind, um, especially with the warm season grasses, which have all now greened up finally. But when we're in that spring transition period, of a lot of those warm season grasses starting to green up, you want to be very careful when using herbicides because that could be pretty detrimental if using it at the wrong time. So keep those things in mind. But the Weed of the Week photo album on Facebook, just search Green and Growing WSB. I'm thinking about a website. We'll see if there's a need for it. But so far, 2,300 of you have found the Facebook page pretty beneficial. So I think I'm going to stick with that right now. Follow me on Twitter at Ashley Frasca WSB. Time to check traffic. You know, the Atlanta roads out there get pretty crazy. We'll be back with the top three things to do this weekend. Stuff to get done right now. Stay tuned. You're listening to WSB. So since I came into the studio at 6 a.m., temperatures have uh, risen about 10 degrees. That's where I like it. 61, 62 right now. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. The high today going to be 77, mostly calm wind-wise. It's going to be mild, mostly sunny, lows in the mid-50s, and then partly cloudy Sunday and Monday, but still great uh, temperatures around 80 degrees. So that's going to be pretty comfortable. Okay, one more check of this. Green, Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. For those of you who've missed it throughout the show, here you go. Easy to do this weekend. Number one, this is the time to plant all your summer vegetables. Get those things in the ground. You want to give them enough time throughout the summer, you know, to get the flowers and then sport the fruit. And then you want to have time to harvest the fruit all before it gets too cold. So uh, I'm going to be doing that along with you this weekend. Number two, we talked about tropical vines at the mailbox. That's just a thought. If you are looking for something bright and low maintenance throughout the summer, I will be posting pictures of Mandevilla bougainvillea, clematis, and morning glory, just so you kind of know the difference if you want to pick one. And number three, prune early flowering azaleas now that they've finished blooming. Remove tall sprouts back at the base, like inside the shrub. That's going to be one of the the best cuts that you do as far as like thinning cut. You know, you're kind of thinning the bush out a little bit. Uh, When you're looking at your shade trees, if there are limbs that just never got leaves on them, it's a good time to remove those as well. So about azaleas, I didn't really get to get into as much detail as I wanted, but the idea there, don't prune any later than the first week of July. So the plant has time to initiate new growth and it's going to hold on to the buds pretty much throughout the fall and the winter all the way until spring. So get that done sooner rather than later. Small azaleas can be pruned several times throughout the growing season. That involves pruning the tips of new individual branches after five or six inches of new growth has been produced. That results in like a compact, well-branched plant and one that'll have more blooms on them. Um, And also just keeping in mind Azalea limbs, they're occasionally, they die back, uh, whether it's fungus disease or, or freeze or something like that. So that's okay to remove those limbs, prune those out with small hand pruning shears. Um, and if you really want to reduce the size of a very large azalea, you can cut them back to where they're only 12 or 18 inches off the ground. But now's not the time to do that. Do that in early spring when you really want to do heavy maintenance like that. But just keep in mind, you will not get flowers for that spring that you do it. So you'll you'll miss one year of blooms, but if you need to reduce the size, hold off and do that in early spring. My thanks to DeMarco and Corey and all of you for being part of the show today. You know I'll be right back here in the host seat 6 a.m. next Saturday, and I'll talk to you throughout the week. Continue the conversation with me on the Facebook page. Find me Green and Growing WSB. Thanks. Have a good Saturday.
For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.